0: This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Health Yeah, your prescription for clear, concise medical health and wellness information. I'm Monica Robbins. Today, we're talking about one of the most lethal types of cancer, pancreatic cancer. Of the 62,000 Americans who likely will be diagnosed this year, nearly 50,000 of them will die. The five-year survival rate is around 11%, but there is hope on the horizon and clinical trials that are available. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Jordan Winter of University Hospital's Cleveland Medical Center about what he sees
1: for the future. Yeah, well, pancreas cancer, as most people are aware, is one of the hardest cancers to treat. It's very aggressive and we really haven't moved the needle substantially as a field over the last several decades in terms of improving survival. We don't have a screening test. And unlike many other cancer types, we don't have any major novel therapies that have changed the way we treat it. So what I think we're going to see, and I'm very confident that that needle will be moved significantly in the next 10 years, although it can't happen soon enough, is I think that we will finally see new tests to detect it early. And there are a variety of different strategies that people are looking at, including things that we're doing here at university hospitals in the Seidman Cancer Center. And also new therapies and trying to figure out both how to make immunotherapy work well for pancreas cancer, because immunotherapy alone does not. So we need to figure out ways to improve the activity of those drugs, but also understanding the biology of pancreas cancer to figure out where those biologic dependencies are and designing drugs specifically against those that spare normal cells. And I think that there's a lot of smart... Um, lines of investigation going on around the country that are inching us closer and closer to that reality.
0: You mentioned immunotherapy, and I just saw that there's a study combining uh, chemotherapy and immunotherapy. Can you talk about what exactly is that and how would it work?
1: Yeah, so um, immunotherapy tries to activate the immune system, the patient's own immune system, to kill the cancer. The cancer has devised ways, as it has evolved over many years in the patient's body, to actually put up a force field and suppress the patient's own immune response. And there are now strategies to reactivate those immune cells against the cancer that work in other cancer types, but they don't seem to work well in pancreatic cancer. And so the next generation of therapeutic strategies for pancreas cancer will explore ways to further activate the immune system And one strategy Involves chemotherapy, where if you can destroy cancer cells and cause the cancer, the dead cancer cells to express certain proteins, that that could activate the immune system. Um, but uh, others are looking at doing the same thing with radiation therapy as a way to activate the immune system, um, and uh, and still others are ways. Uh, others are are looking for ways to actually target the immune cells themselves and, uh, and, and um, induce them to become more virulent and aggressive and active against the cancer cells. So those, those adjuvant therapies would not be chemotherapies. They'd be different biologic therapies that are based on new biologic insights about how these immune cells work in the tumor.
0: So now that Sidman has expanded its lab and is doing more with CAR T-cell therapy, are you hopeful that that may be able to translate into pancreatic cancer treatments?
1: That's a great question. CAR T-cells have seemed to be really game-changing in very specific cancer types, certain types of lymphoma or leukemia, But in solid tumors like pancreas cancer, so far there hasn't been any traction. And the reason is, is because the way CAR T cells work is the the immune cells from a patient are taken out of the patient, engineered in a machine to express a certain protein that specifically homes to a cancer cell. And the way it does that It's sort of through a lock and key mechanism where the T cells, the CAR T's express the key, and they're looking for the lock on the cancer cells. And while those lymphoma tumors that are susceptible to CAR T cells are sensitive because all those cancer cells have the same lock, pancreas cancer is different. Every cancer cell has different locks. So how do you design a CAR-T to kill all of the pancreas cancer cells in a patient's body when their key doesn't open up the door to all of the cancer cells? And so the strategies that we're employing at university hospitals are trying to figure out ways to to create CAR-Ts that have multiple keys so that they can attack a diverse or heterogeneous cancer or cause those to continue this analogy further to cause those cancer cells to all express a common lock. And we are starting to think of ways and test experimentally strategies that might allow us to achieve that goal. And hopefully we can take those, uh, those experimental innovations and quickly translate them to the clinic in trials within the next couple of years.
0: Something else that's, uh, that a lot of people may not understand is, you know, you often think of surgery when you think of any type of cancer. But when it comes to cancer of the pancreas, it, the surgery is not very easy. It's, it's incredibly difficult. Are there advancements in the type of surgery that can be done? And if so, what are they? And is there anything else in the future that you think uh, you're working toward?
1: Well, there are some advances in surgery. A lot of that um, is around allowing us to do the operation safer and getting patients through the recovery um, quicker, and um, and overcoming any setbacks or complications. And we've been able to achieve that by doing a high volume of this operation. So it's something that our team is very good at. And I emphasize the word team. Getting a patient through a complex operation like pancreas surgery um, requires far more than an experienced surgeon, but also an experienced anesthesia team, an experienced nursing team, experienced radiologists, nurses and residents on the floor, and, uh, and gastroenterologists, all of whom work together to get a patient safely um, through the treatment. So I would say uh, one of our best innovations is just around experience and setting up a cohesive team that has seen virtually anything that can happen related to patients undergoing pancreas surgery. We are very invested in continuing to try and solve some of our biggest challenges with this operation. Uh, for instance, we are in the preparation stage of a of a novel randomized trial to um to decrease pancreatic leaks after pancreatic surgery, especially in patients whose pancreases are very soft and at risk for not healing well. So constantly trying to think of ways to innovate and then employing clinical trials to study them in a very rigorous and scientific way. We also have become better at doing very complex uh, uh, surgery to take out advanced pancreatic cancer or locally advanced pancreatic cancer. And that often uh, uh, requires us to give patients um, a full course of neoadjuvant chemotherapy um, and sometimes radiation therapy to stabilize the tumor, in some cases, shrink the tumor. We have clinical trials uh, that um, that we conduct to use the latest and most advanced strategies to do that, and then um, collaborate with our um, vascular surgeons and transplantation colleagues to make sure that we can uh, remove the most um, uh, difficult to remove cancers, which often involve complex vascular resection and reconstruction.
0: Talk to me about the, the Whipple procedure. Is this what you're referring to? And my understanding is it's done laparoscopically now?
1: well we the whipple operation is an operation that um that removes the right side of the pancreas and um and is uh specifically focused on taking out tumors that are in the pancreatic head and often present with obstructive jaundice or the patient presents with turning yellow those operations involve taking out the head of the pancreas taking out the first portion of the duodenum and the bottom portion of the bile duct and then doing a reconstruction where we reattach the remaining pancreas bile duct and also reimplant the stomach so that we restore gastrointestinal continuity that's the Whipple operation the complex term is pancreaticoduodenectomy uh, which re- means you remove the pancreatic head and the duodenum the um Tumors that occur on the left side of the pancreas are uh, removed by an operation called a distal pancreatectomy, and the spleen is removed that, removed with that. And those operations can be done both through a standard incision, or sometimes we can do that through smaller incisions in a minimally invasive approach, either laparoscopically. Uh, or using a robot to assist us with that minimally invasive technique.
0: What is your advice to patients who, you know, present um especially if they're also given the opportunity of a clinical trial? And how many clinical trials are you are you doing now at, at UH relating to like clinical trial medication like Heather was taking?
1: Yeah. So when we think about clinical trials for for any cancer type, especially one as challenging as pancreatic cancer, it's really important to have a clinical trial that is available for each and every patient. And what's important for patients to understand is that clinical trials have very specific eligibility criteria. In order to best understand whether treatments work, we need to ensure that the uh, that the patients who enroll in the trial have some commonality so that we can really understand the variables involved and test a very specific question. So patients with advanced or stage 4 pancreas cancer, meaning that it is spread, are enrolled into a trial together and separately from patients who have early stage pancreas cancer. Um, so we try and have a clinical trial for each different stage. Patients who have localized disease who require neoadjuvant chemotherapy to stabilize or shrink the tumor before surgery. We have a a clinical trial specifically for those patients where we are um, combining chemotherapy with a novel uh, drug that targets pancreas cancer metabolism. And then we have trials like the one that Heather was enrolled in for patients with localized pancreas cancer that's still advanced. So it's involving the blood vessels to try and shrink the tumor so that we can safely remove it. And that was involving a different metabolic modulator combined with chemotherapy. We also have trials dedicated for patients with metastatic disease and those trials are separated into those where we enroll patients who have never seen chemotherapy before. They just had a diagnosis of pancreas cancer. And separate trials with patients who have received chemotherapy, and now they're seeking out opportunities for next line therapies, or we refer to them as second or third line treatments, and we have trials dedicated to that. We also have therapeutic trials that are looking to control and improve quality of life and, and control symptoms associated with either pancreas cancer or the side effects of treatment. For instance, patients with pancreas cancer and localized disease, it could be um, removable pancreas cancer or, or unremovable pancreas cancer, who are getting chemotherapy. Um, are, uh, are 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 um, eligible for a randomized trial looking at decreasing pancreas cancer associated depression, and we think that that's very important because depression is more common in patients with cancer, and it's more common in patients with pancreas cancer than any other cancer type. And if we can reduce the incidence of depression in, in our patients, we actually will um, be able to secondarily reduce depression in their providers because there's an increase in depression in in, in care providers of patients who have depressed, um, uh, uh, patients that are, they're taking care of. And it can also even improve survival of our patients because patients who are depressed have a worse compliance with therapeutic recommendations and ultimately, have a worse survival. So we think it's important to look at supporting the symptoms around this disease, in addition to um, studying novel anti-cancer agents.
0: Yeah, I, I I think that is so incredibly important because um, you know right now we don't have any screening tools other oh. than imaging. Um, so from from your perspective, how are we close? to, you know, coming to a, you know, something like a colonoscopy or a mammogram for pancreas cancer? Or is that something still far off? Because it sounds like everything that is advancing is in the treatment, not in the prevention.
1: Yeah, another really insightful question, Monica, because I think that um, the most important thing that we can study and the most important discovery that we can make is in the area of early detection. We don't have such tests for pancreas cancer as you alluded to. And I am hopeful that we will in the next five to 10 years. There are some blood tests that have been coming to market in the area of early detection for pancreas cancer and other cancers, which um, are looking to tap into studying different molecules that exist in patients with cancer in their bloodstream that are not as high in patients without cancer. Um, the most popular one that people may have read about is a is a test called the Grail Gallery Test. And um, it's a test that can detect not just pancreas cancer, but over 50 different types of cancer. The the challenge with that test is it is expensive, tends not to be covered with insurance, and the sensitivity is not very high. So it misses a lot of cancers. If you're negative for that test, it doesn't mean you don't have cancer, If you're positive, then it's a good sign that we can catch it early and find it and treat it better. So it is a valuable contribution to the way we treat cancer. It looks at changes in the DNA that's circulating in the blood. And we think that we can look at other molecules beyond DNA that will be even more informative. And we have some preliminary data from our research program that suggests maybe we've stumbled upon something in pancreas cancer um, that is uh, that is reliable and something that we, we have to validate. My fantasy is that not only will we have a test that can detect pancreas cancer in the blood, but that we'll be able to detect it using a non-invasive, easy, to uh, to sample blood test similar to uh, a glucose test strip um, to that diabetics routinely use. When people think of that type of test and are um, have reservations about it because of the scandal and um, and downfall of Theranos and um, and how that technology didn't pan out. But I think that that may have been a false fail because I do think that it is possible for us to get there and I'm hopeful in the next 10 to 15 years we will have such a test.
0: When someone is diagnosed with uh, pancreas cancer, obviously it's no wonder, like you said, the depression is higher because it is for many a very lethal diagnosis. Do you think there needs to be a change in the way doctors discuss this cancer with people. And, and that goes back to when you get the original diagnosis that you even have pancreas cancer. I I can't imagine. Is there a better way of telling people that, or is there a better way of explaining, but look, everybody's different and there's different ways of treating it. What's your take on that?
1: I think talking to patients about their diagnosis and their prognosis is one of the most difficult things that a surgical oncologist or any oncologist does. I have these conversations with patients and their families. I spend a lot of time talking to them about it. I try and listen and answer their questions and understand what their fears and what their interests and their goals are. It allows me to direct my message in a way that I think that individual patient wishes to have that conversation. But when I have those conversations and I have residents or students or trainees who observe that, and I spend time talking to patients about it, I'll often comment that I think that that conversation that we just had took more skill than doing the Whipple operation that that patient had. And I really believe that. It is very hard to do. And the first step is for doctors to realize how important those conversations are. Also, maybe the patient actually hears only 50% or even less of what we say that first time because their mind is going in a million different places and they're thinking about their mortality and other concerns. And what they do here, they may not in, be interpreting it the way we intend for them to interpret. So we have to pause. We have to ask them to tell us, retell what they understand. Specifically, to answer your question about stage, it is important for people to understand what stage they are. That's a, an objective piece of information that patients really should know. But I think the most important thing for doctors to communicate to patients in general when it comes to pancreas cancer is to communicate um, a realistic portrayal of what they're dealing with. You cannot make difficult decisions unless you truly understand the facts as your surgical or oncology team understands them. So be realistic and honest and don't shy away from the truth. But at the same time, communicate a strong sense of hope. So being realistic and optimistic at the same time, when you're talking about pancreas cancer, is a very delicate dance that requires years of um, attention to get to the point where you're doing it in a way that is empathetic and helpful to patients. And I'm still working on doing that. It is, like I said, one of the hardest things that we do.
0: I know that obesity and smoking are a couple of the risk factors, as well as, you know, maybe some genetic disposition for pancreas cancer. But is there anything you wish people would keep in mind uh, when it comes to this type of cancer? Because we know that 62,000 people will be diagnosed with it this year, and up to 50,000 of them will likely die. Um, those are not good odds. You know, that's obvious there, but I'm curious to know if, if there, if there is no screening test, is there a way for people to just be more aware of potential symptoms that are very stealthy? And, you know, most of us are more likely to ignore what, what do you wish if you saw your patients, you know, six months earlier, before they were diagnosed, what would you have liked them to tell you then?
1: Well, six months makes a difference with this disease. If we can capture all of our patients with pancreas cancer six months earlier than they were diagnosed, we will save a lot of lives. So that is the time frame that we're looking to improve too. And, um, and with pancreas cancer, There are some telltale signs that are not specific, but are associated with the presentation. The three syndromes that sort of cluster around this disease um, are, we talked about depression. So often depression precedes the diagnosis of pancreas cancer, which is interesting. Patients aren't just depressed because they know they have a bad diagnosis. There are actually factors that are secreted by the cancer that change neurocognitive health and function that can be perceived as memory changes or mood changes, we think that's true. We, have, we just published a paper looking at um, in, in an animal study um, that uh, that suggests that. So depression, new onset in an elderly person um, should should tip us off diabetes, worsening, exacerbation or new onset of diabetes is associated with pancreas cancer bec- more than other cancer types because the cancer destroys the pancreas and the pancreas makes insulin. So there's always, almost always a, uh, a change in, in glucose levels. If that is noticed or a patient on oral diabetes medicine all of a sudden requires insulin, that is a flag, a red flag. Unintentional weight loss is the third. That's associated with every cancer type. And anytime patients lose five to 10 pounds or more over a short period of time, six weeks, two months, three months, please get checked. And then there's other um, symptoms, back pain, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, Those are symptoms that could be associated with anything in the abdomen, um, but also can be associated with cancer. So what I would say more broadly is that if you are somebody who are in your 40s or above and you have new symptoms over the course of a three to five week period that are not going away, just get checked up immediately and and the doctor needs to pay attention to it and not dismiss it and at the minimum if they don't know the answer then the answer is follow up again in two weeks and then start doing some some real testing so pay attention to your body and get checked with any any changes in symptoms
0: i just saw the study out of brazil that basically said people who eat a large uh, who consume a large amount of ultra processed foods are more likely to die. Is pancreas cancer connected to that?
1: Well, I think that we need as a as a field to study nutrition in a much more uh, focused and uh, intense intensive way. In in cancer, um, the old adage "you are what you eat." I mean that has to be true i mean that is literally who we are is where we process all of the nutrients that we uh take in and uh and use that to um to replenish and repair and uh and grow and harmful chemicals that are in our food also can can cause damage to our cells which can trigger Processes over many years can lead lead to cancer. So um, I, I certainly believe that um, we can need to pay more attention to nutrition and also, you know, processed food because processed food is where the harmful chemicals that can induce or or lead to cancer development over a long period of time become relevant. I also think that the way we manipulate our diet can reprogram our tissues to either reduce the risk of cancer development or sensitize cancer to specific therapies. We're studying both. That is cancer prevention through diet and nutrients and vitamins I believe that we will unravel that puzzle, where we'll be able to stave off cancer as we age by understanding over a long period of time, how to support our cellular repair processes so that that injury repair, injury repair cycle, which leads to cancer, can be dampened but also we're studying in a very focused way on reprogramming pancreatic cancer metabolic machinery so that specific dependencies um, can be unmasked in the cancer. And those cancers in combination with specific diets are rendered susceptible to targeted therapies. So we're looking specifically, for instance, at a ketogenic diet. And we find anti-cancer properties in mice very effectively um, uh, against pancreatic cancer um, when mice are fed a ketogenic diet. And then we are now figuring out what biologic changes occur on that diet and how to pair that diet with specific therapies that really cripple the cancer. So more to come on that. I'm not making any recommendations form formally um, in that in that space, but feel very confident that we will um, make discoveries in the coming years, where ultimately we can change the paradigm both in terms of prevention and treatment.
0: From your perspective, what do you expect to be the biggest advancement in the next three years?
1: I think the biggest advancement is going to be around early detection. And I don't think that we will, in three years, have a game-changing test ready for market. But I do think, over that time, we will have a series of promising lines of investigation that'll be closer and closer to getting tested in the clinic, such that maybe three to five years following that, we will have early detection tests um, begin to creep into the um, routine care of our patients with pancreatic cancer. So, So I think that we're likely to make progress in the area of early detection faster than therapy. But I also think um, that there will be therapeutic advances over, over that time frame as well. Um, you know, I think that if I were to offer a suggestion to the field at large, it's that we need to diversify our portfolio of therapeutic strategies um, as a field. And, uh, and right now there's a lot of attention, there's the over attention to a few hot areas. And I think we're falling victim to a herd mentality. Um, and just like a asset manager wants to diversify a client's portfolio, I think as a cancer research field, we need to make sure that we're doing that too and study um, things that are not quite as trendy um that very few people are looking at but areas that um are that offer high high reward maybe higher risk as well
0: final thoughts to those who may be facing this diagnosis and their families
1: my final thought is that um is that it's important to find those windows of hope with this disease, Um, that we have patients who are long-term survivors, many of them, and by long-term survival, I mean more than five years, sometimes 10 years, sometimes beyond, and we approach every patient at university hospitals as if they are going to be that positive outlier every patient gets the benefit of the doubt when they meet us at the beginning, that they have a chance of being that positive outlier. And I want people facing this challenge to have that, to find that thread of hope, hold on to it and pursue it. There is a day in the natural history of this disease for most patients with pancreas cancer, where their goals change, where it changes from beating this cancer, extending life to how can I be maximally comforted and supported and um, and at peace. And that's okay too. That's a whole nother conversation that we wanna support and facilitate and help patients and their families navigate. But before that switch, when patients are first getting that diagnosis, I want patients to know that there is hope, that um, miracles do happen and I have seen them. And try and be mindful of the possibility of enrolling in a clinical trial if the opportunity is there. Only 5% of patients with pancreas cancer enroll in a clinical trial, either because they're not offered one or there's not the opportunity. And imagine how fast, how much faster we'll make advances if we can increase that to 30 or 50 or even 80% of patients. We'll be able a in a multiplicative way, um, accelerate our pace of discovery.
0: Dr. Jordan Winter, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your insight.
1: Thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it as well.
0: Please find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Subscribe and find video podcasts on my YouTube channel, Monica Robbins. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.